On this episode of Mammoth Weekly, the fall 2021 semester is up and going, and Mammoth welcomed in a brand new provost at the start of the academic year. We've got a great opportunity to catch up with Dr. Pamela Scott Johnson. With university president, this is faculty member Matt Harmon. It's time for episode number 34. Thanks, as always, for listening. Fall semester is up and going. It's a beautiful Thursday as we record episode number 34 of Mammoth Weekly, the third week of the semester. It is absolutely already uh, flying by as we kind of hit the late part of September. Really looking forward to being back on the air. We've been uh, off for the last couple of weeks. Busy time, obviously, to get the semester up and going. University President Patrick Leahy. I'm faculty member Matt Harmon. Uh, we're going to dig in today to one of the new hires during the course of the uh, beginning part of the academic year. Hired at the end of last uh, term and now starting in August, that is Provost Dr. Pamela Scott Johnson. We'll get into that in just a second. President Leahy, I say a very good morning to you. Really impressed right off the jump as you and I can see each other. You've got the protein drink, you're ready to go. I, I feel like this episode, you're you're more focused than ever. I love it. <laughs> Wait, it took us 34 episodes to get me the most focused. Uh, so notice, really, notice, uh, notice I didn't say you're not focused in the other 33. <laughs> I said most focused here yeah. in episode 34. And probably because we've got the top person on the education side for mom. If you got to be sharp today, there's a little bit. Yeah, of. I, got, I have to be on my game today uh, for sure to impress our new provost. But uh, uh, the energy level is uh, sky high at Monmouth right now, Matt. I mean that. And uh, I'm, I'm going to bring it. Uh, to the extent that I can, because uh, there's just so many positive things happening at, happening at our university right now, especially, you know, given the still challenging environment in which we find ourselves. Yeah, clearly COVID continues to be an issue, but I will say as a faculty member and someone who, who teaches in different buildings, who is there obviously four, four days a week, it has been such a pleasure to walk around the campus and see people walking around the campus and i don't really know any other way to say it because there is a little bit of life no it's not what it was pre-covid but it is definitely much much different than it was a year ago and and i know that was part of the the idea like let's try to get back to some sort of normal even if it's not the normal that we once knew i mean yesterday on campus of course it was in the afternoon a beautiful afternoon it was teeming with uh, activity and people it was uh, between our current students and then all, all kinds of groups of prospective students uh, checking out Monmouth. So uh, we are, I think, back to uh, a much greater sense of normal. Um, we are fully reopened, as we've talked about before. Our uh, Most of our classes are in person, and I'm so grateful to our faculty for, for, um, for bringing it in the classroom uh, this fall. Our residence halls are oversubscribed, uh, frankly, at this point. Um, you know, we're staying masked up indoors, which we've talked about in, in the previous episode, just as an added layer of precaution, that is the prevailing public health guidance. And uh, we're gonna continue to follow it, uh, both in Monmouth County and across the state and through the CDC. But um, 
uh, all things considered, I think we feel very positive about the way in which the fall semester uh, has started. COVID numbers, always something that you're keeping an eye on. And, and to my knowledge, as of even this morning, COVID numbers relatively are pretty good across campus. Yeah, I mean, we have a few cases and we always say, you know, any individual case, you just don't know how it's going to unfold. So, um, you know, that's cause for some concern, any case, but the case numbers are low. It seems like, uh, you know, the symptoms are, are fairly mild uh, for those positive cases that we do have because our campus community is as highly vaccinated as it is, uh, 94% of our faculty and staff, 84%, I think, of our student body as a whole. That makes it a lot more manageable because uh, as you do the contact tracing, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to worry about uh, quarantining. So um, not out of the woods entirely by any stretch, but uh, I do feel like our protocols uh, this fall are working. Last one before we bring in our, our guests for today on Monmouth Weekly. Um, I know near and dear to your heart, to mine as well. It's what I it's what I teach. It's what I broadcast. Some of the athletic programs on campus, Monmouth, off to great starts. Um, have had so much fun interacting with some of the students within the classroom about that. I saw you yesterday, a surprise guest at the men's soccer practice, right? <laughs> I was. Here I am inserting myself again into the. Uh into the uh, athletic teams. I, I, I've tried to make a commitment to get around to all the, all the teams this year, just to welcome them back to campus, tell them how pleased we are that uh, we can have our athletic programs in their normal seasons and just to wish them well uh, as the, uh, in particular, conference play uh, begins. You know, I'm particularly proud of a couple things, if I may, Matt. <clears throat> One is, you know, our football team, no surprises off to a great start. They play Holy Cross on Saturday. What a great matchup. That'll be the favorite to win the Patriot League and the favorite to win the Big South squaring off. But they're, <clears throat> they're the number 20th ranked team in the country right now. We have designs, of course, on punching that up over the course of the season. But the thing that I'm so proud of is the fact that there's only one private institution ranked ahead of us, only one, and that's Villanova. So I, I, you know how particular I am about how, how proud I am that the pri a smaller private institution can compete against these much bigger public institutions and these much better known private institutions. So I'm really proud about that. And then field hockey is also uh, ranked nationally, as you, as you know. And um, there are a lot of private schools ranked ahead of us in that uh, poll, but listen to some of the names of the private schools ranked ahead of us. Maybe you've heard of them, Matt. Northwestern, Boston College, um, Syracuse, Harvard, Wake Forest, Princeton, Duke. You get the idea. I mean, we're competing uh, in athletics with uh, the best of the best across the country, and that makes me really proud. Love when the competitive side of your personality comes out. I hear it in your voice. I know there's so much more that you want to say, but you hold back just a, a little bit. I would I would say this, and then and then we'll we'll kind of move into the, the crux of our episode today. Next time we get to a practice, can we get outfitted? Can we get some cleats on? Can we get a uniform? I mean, 
I know you have other things that you need to do on campus, but if you're going to step outside the realm and enter the field of competition, I, I do think you need to be outfitted properly. I, I wore my dress shoes uh, by design so that they would not entice me to try to kick a soccer ball. That, that would not be a great image uh, for our university. Um, so... All right. Well said. Fair enough. Let's uh, let's hop in as um, we're, we're in the midst of episode 34 of Monmouth Weekly. It is essentially our biweekly series that we keep you updated on everything um, campus related. Pulled up an email from April 9th, came at 12.57 p.m. last semester from President Leahy going to the entire Monmouth University community about the hiring of Pamela Scott Johnson, uh, Dr. Pamela Scott Johnson, who has now become the new provost. And I pulled it up because I, I was interested to know from April to August, um, that transition period, which is so unique and so important for Monmouth with a new provost, Dr. Scott Johnson, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Um, really looking forward to spending some time and, and talking to you. I, I do hope that you have made the transition as you are in California from one coast to the next, and you have started to enjoy what New Jersey has to offer, though I know you do have a little bit of New Jersey in your educational background. Absolutely, I'm a bi-coastal person, and I actually hung out on both coasts. So I've hung out in the Pacific, and now I got the Atlantic again. So it's been a great transition, um, especially remembering that I'm in the middle of being in a humid area. You know, I like heat. So anything above 90 is good, although I'll say 120 is a bit much. But uh, so my 114 degree heat with no humidity. OK, so I traded it for 90 degrees with a little humidity. I, so I feel at home. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely gauge over the course of, let's say, the next 25 minutes or so, who has the best pizza, where the best bagel is. Have you figured out? those stops as you come back to New Jersey, because those things are really important. That's number one. But number two, you have made a transition here as the provost now of Monmouth during maybe one of the most, or I think some could say the most challenging time in education because of COVID, because of enrollment issues that plague every school across the country. Um, you had served as Dean of the College of Natural and Social Sciences at Cal State University in Los Angeles. So you're you're used to a lot of students. You move from that public university to a private university. If you don't mind me asking, what's maybe been one of the unique challenges in the first couple of months of the job that you faced here at Monmouth? I think the ways that which we articulate processes, you know, in a public school system and a public university with um, 23 campuses and a strong union, the ways in which our policies and practices are articulated. You know, you can find them on the web. You have a dozen people, you have a booklet, and there are 22 other people that you can confer with. So I think that that uh, articulated process that it's also has a legislative overlay in that uh, is probably one of those differences. Um, but I think the other thing that is common is the way in which people want to make sure that their students are successful, uh, that we use processes that help us understand in a collective way how to get there. Uh, I think there are differences also just in, in terms of the students that are part of the campus, but the ways in which we need to prepare them for the future is 
what we have in common. So I've been kind of weighing those things in my own mind. De definitely want to get back to that. Want to bring uh, President Leahy in here. I, I know this search from a national search yielded some probably, <clears throat> excuse me, amazing candidates. Um, when when you narrowed it down, President Leahy, what was it about Provost Scott Johnson, Dr. Scott Johnson, that led you to believe that she is the person from an academic standpoint that can take Monmouth, and you and I have talked about this so many times, take Monmouth from where it is now to where it can be over the next five, 10, fill in the number of years. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it was a decidedly national search. I mean, the fact that we ended up with a candidate from LA should prove that. I mean, we, we went out aggressively nationwide. We had, I don't know, a hundred applicants, which is heartening to know that that many people are interested in coming to Monmouth. Um, and uh, it was a rigorous, as Pam can tell you, it was a, you know, a rigorous process, even though it was uh, conducted 100% remotely, given the, um, you know, the challenges of the pandemic, we decided nonetheless to go ahead with the search. And in the end, uh, it was very clear to me, we had some really good finalists. I, you know, I, I, I credit all of the finalists, but in the end, it was very clear to me that uh, Pam really, you know, at the risk of embarrassing her, uh, possesses three things. You know, number one, she is a serious academic. Just look at her academic credentials, which I know you'll talk about in a minute. Um, her experience uh, first in a corporate setting and then uh, in an academic setting. Uh, she is a serious academic. And I've always said that because you know, my background is not the traditional sort of uh, academic background. My experience, as you well know, Matt, has been 100% administrative. It is so important that our senior vice president and provost be uh, highly, highly academically credentialed. So number one, she has that. Number two, she has substantial experience as an administrator. I mean, you mentioned it yourself, the school that she ran at Cal State LA serves more students than Monmouth University does, <laughs> or just about the same number of students. Uh, so even though Pam has never served as a chief academic officer before, we felt very comfortable that she had great experience there, great experience at, at Morgan State, and would come uh, here and bring that experience that we want. And then thirdly, and maybe uh, equally important to those other two is, um, is just her personality and, and, and her style that uh, we think is going to work extremely well here at Monmouth. And all you need to do is get to know her a little bit to realize that she will bring the energy and the enthusiasm and the commitment to student success that is uh, what we seek. So you put the three of those things together, and to me, it's like a home run uh, hire. Let, let's talk a little bit about the background of our new provost, uh, President Leahy. You mentioned some of her stops along the way. She started as a faculty member at her alma mater at Spelman, uh, 15 years at Morgan State before going to Cal State LA. And I had mentioned kind of as we, as we brought you in, you have a great connection to the state of New Jersey, getting both your master's and your PhD uh, at Princeton. How, how has it all, dare I say, come together for you? You think of all the stops along the way, um, and, and this being the first opportunity that you have to kind of oversee all of the academics, 
Have you picked up a little bit from each stop along the way? Well, I'd have to say I picked up um, a lot of that because both of my parents were school teachers. Uh, my, my mother was the head of the South Carolina Education Association. So that's the teachers union in South Carolina. And I used to go to meetings with her. She also taught, you know, um, what used to be called night school. And, and so she had a bit of an organizational bug. You know, she always taught us about going to meetings with agendas. And I was actually the student president of, of uh, teachers. It was, it was called SAE, students, students for Action in Education, when I was in high school. So I really learned that kind of organizational leadership from a mother who was very active in the community. Uh, my father was a coach and uh, he also taught psychology. His students used to say, well, Mr. Scott, you teach psychology, but your daughter uses more psychology on you than you teach in the classroom. So I would have to say, and then my, my uh, great aunt was the Sunday school superintendent, but she was also the mathematics chair in the middle school. And this was during a time of kind of integration. So I, I would say that organizational framework came from a family that was very involved. And then when I went to college, I was actually um, freshman rep, sophomore class president, and I was actually student government. And I interacted a lot with Donald Stewart, who was the president at the time he's passed. And you know, he started uh, a lot of opportunities for young women who were coming into their own. So I, I would say a, a family that was highly engaged, a father who used to say, I'm going to teach you these things, even though you're a girl, because I grew up in a very provincial and, and somewhat um, socially conservative, but religious in framework, um, a group of people. And then from from Spelman, I went to Princeton and Dr. Stewart gave me the board of trustees members. So Sewell Johnson and Sally McAlpin, he sent a letter of introduction uh, for me there. And then I left Princeton and I worked for Kraft Foods. And then I decided that working in a corporate environment uh, after getting married and having children was not in uh, not how I wanted to to be, and so I came back to my alma mater, who who sought me out to to bring neuroscience uh, there. And then, as I started to participate as a faculty member, understood that leadership matters, and that articulating clearly what was going to be new in the academy, I thought I had an opportunity, and I thought I had a voice in that. And I would, I've always been grateful for people who've given me that opportunity and the mentorship to be able to do that. So along each of those um, spaces, uh, I've have the, had the, the mentorship, the tutelage, and just really been blessed by people who've allowed me to be myself, who've helped me temper a little bit about myself, but you know, I'm still tempering. Um, but it, it allows me to continue to think about what is important, what matters. And I think um, get, giving me a voice, uh, which is really so critical for me, is making sure that people have a voice toward the common. And when they're not part of that common voice and giving them the wherewithal to create a space for their individual voice. 
take me take me a little deeper if you can into the idea of working as a faculty member and some of those experiences that you had uh, at Spelman at Morgan State moving more to the administrative level at Cal State but but as an educator and someone who was in the classroom um, the challenges that you went through that you can now articulate to the faculty here at Monmouth and help them deal with some of the issues that might be in education today? Yeah, I, I, I love that question because I, I often think about things from a faculty perspective, but as an administrator, it is the, it, it is the eagle or the hawk's lens of looking down uh, into that. So as a faculty member at Spelman, I left a corporate environment. So there were a couple of things that I thought were going to be important. How do I teach? How do I understand pedagogy? How do I understand how to work with the students and to articulate my expectations in a way that would allow young people who were developing to understand and mirror those? So there were two things that really helped me. The fact that there was a somewhat informal uh, uh, program of mentoring. So I would come out of a classroom having had some really challenging times and fussy students. And I would go into my uh, colleague's office. I had two, two colleagues, uh, Meyer Burnett and um, uh, uh, Dr. Williams. I can't think of his first, Con Conrad Williams, who sits past. And I would go and I would cry in their office. And they would say, okay, you have 15 minutes for the whole semester to cry and whine about what's happening. And so they would, they would say, okay, you've used up two of your minutes. But in that time, they would say, well, here's a process I use in class. Here's something that would help. Here's, here is what I could do. I also participated in a national organization called Project Kaleidoscope. At, during that time, people were trying to articulate why is it that we are so illiterate from a scientific standpoint and, and had been really involved in that national conversation around science education. You know, what are our expectations when we send, when we prepare teachers to go into the high school and middle school when they've only had one class of chemistry or one class of biology, and then people can't read maps or read, you know, um, uh, metrics. And so how to, so I, I actually had, you know, colleagues that mentored me, that helped me. It was also the uh, Carnegie started to establish um, uh, uh, the scholarship of teaching. So Spelman would send faculty to that. And then Project Kaleidoscope would have meetings on the weekends. And the, the way they were run was what works. It wasn't just to come and take a bunch of notes and put them on the shelf. It's, it, the, at the end of the meeting, it was you wrote up, what are you going to do on Monday morning to improve your classrooms? What are you going to do on Tuesday to hear how students um, to, to bridge the gap between what students are doing and your expectations. So I did that. And then, you know, and then we also had a much clearly articulated tenure process. And so on that tenure process was someone in your department, someone in your unit who may not be a psychologist, but in that unit that would help translate. Okay, so I'm in English. And this is how I'm going to look at your process and helping the faculty put together their portfolios. And all of that made the difference for me as a person who takes very seriously pedagogy 
and the articulated ways in which we have to set up good teaching practices so that students can learn. And then as a psychologist, you know, psychology is a very assessment oriented field. And so the ways we look at, at, at uh, um, our practices and my area is neuroscience, but I work with people who are clinicians and those in social psychology in statistics and cognitive psychology. So we're very assessment oriented, but all of that helped me really get serious about the practice of teaching. And then I also interacted with a number of colleagues in the field of education because they're the pedagogy ones. You know, when you're trying to help people from K through 12, you know, understand how students learn and, and God bless, you know, K through 12 teachers because my parents uh, used to sign me up to, to be a substitute teacher during the summer. And, you know, I did first grade twice, and I promise you, I will never be a first grade teacher. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the patience. But all of that helped me not only grow as an academic uh, person serious about teaching, but also, I mean, I have neuroscience, chemical senses. My colleagues in those arenas helped me translate which, what, which, that which was proprietary to companies. Uh, into a practice of, of you know, you got to get it out, you got to get it published. How do you write a grant? How do you write a, a paper? And so I think mentoring matters um, and mentoring at all levels matter. And it's not just, you know, how do we get in a corner and complain about, you know, who didn't do what for us. It's on us individually to be the best practitioners that we can. But I think it's on us as a community to ensure that people have access to that. I think President Leahy and I say every morning, God bless teachers that are, I'm gonna even narrow it six through 12 as he has two in that age bracket and I have two in that age bracket. It is no easy uh, time to be in education. Doesn't matter what you do. Such a great sure. answer there, um, Provost Scott Johnson, without question. President Leahy, you know, listening to that answer, there's, there's no doubt now that as I hear it, it was almost an easy, grab for Mammoth to get someone who can articulate so many things um, on a level and have the experiences in a short amount of time that Provost Scott Johnson has had. I mean, I just, I think, I think Pamela brings that commitment to student success that is, that is, I think, uh, the, the ethos here at, at Mammoth. But what I love about it is that this, this, this hunger that I hear in, in her statements around constantly improving the student experience in the classroom and how faculty members can continue. I don't care if you've been teaching for five years or 50 years, continually look at, are we delivering the pedagogy the way we need to, to get students to learn today and, and students interests and patterns and all that are changing over time and you know we must make sure that uh, all of us i'm not just saying our faculty but all of us here in the academy who are committing our lives to this work are are open to changing and adapting to ensure that we are delivering for students today and i think pam has so much to work with at monmouth because there is a deep abiding commitment to student success here. I firmly believe that. But if, if she can help to foster even greater 
development uh, among all of us, uh, I think that, that that will redound so positively to the student experience at a time where we have to constantly strengthen our, our, our value proposition in a really competitive market. So I'm, I'm just so pleased to have somebody who's that committed to the, to the classroom and what happens in the classroom, as well as uh, Pam, I think will tell you that it's really important for faculty to have the, the space and the support to do their own scholarship and research that keeps them current in their field, that, that new knowledge uh, is shared in the classroom with students. So that's an important part of it uh, as well. And that's why I said, Pam's such a great hire because she brings both, um, you know, that record of achievement in the classroom and that record of scholarship, you know, outside the classroom. So uh, it's just so comforting for me to have a partner in Pamela. I mean, remember, Matt, you know, when I arrived here, I elevated this position to the senior vice president. No disrespect to the other vice presidents. They all do incredible work here. But at an academic institution, the number two person on the org chart, in my opinion, should be the provost. And I want to make it clear to everybody that Pam was the number two person on the org chart. Um, I often say, though, that while she's the number two person, she might be the most important job on a college campus. Well, and only the president, I think, can say that. Otherwise, it doesn't look very good. But the reason I say that is if Pamela does her job really well, that frees me up to add value to the university in the ways that I think I can add value uh, the most. So it's really a partnership, I, I, and I couldn't be more pleased uh, to partner up with Pam in the years to come. Well, interesting that you mentioned that it might be the most important position uh, on the campus in a lot of ways. I know in a recent uh, article from New Jersey Business, both you and Patrick Murray were named as part of the top 50 in education here within the state. And a big reason why was the hiring of Pamela Scott Johnson. So it, it does show, I mean, listen, everybody understands universities are in essence their own corporation, their own business. But the main idea is to educate and to get students prepared for success later in life. So to your point, President Leahy, if it's without a top person in the provost level, at, at some level, that's not going to work. And, and that's not the case here with this most recent hire. You know, in my career, Matt, I've worked at places where um, it wasn't clear that the, the 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 provost or the you know the chief academic officer was the number two person and i always said to myself you know if i ever have a chance to run a university i'm gonna establish that that model and so at wilkes the first decision i made at wilkes was i elevated the provost to senior vice president one of the first decisions i made here at monmouth was to elevate the senior vice the provost to senior vice president and um, I just think it sends an important message to our key constituents that uh, we are an academic institution. As proud as we are of all the related things that we do at this university, the heart of the matter is what happens in the classroom and, and in labs and in other sort of teaching spaces, you know. And uh, we just need to make that as clear as possible. And one small way I can do that is by elevating this position uh, to senior vice president. 
few more minutes here on episode 34 of Monmouth Weekly with my co-host, University President Patrick Leahy, faculty member Matt Harmon. We are joined today by the brand new provost at Monmouth who officially started at the beginning part of August, Dr. Pamela Scott Johnson. Um, Provost Scott Johnson, if, if, if I said to you, go back to your answer from earlier, talking about the metric of student success, I think that's so important for any academic institution, Monmouth obviously included. How, how is that gauged in today's world? How is student success gauged at a place like Monmouth? Well, student success really is gauged uh, from multiple components, right? Are, are your students graduating? Are your students uh, prepared for the job market? And I know that in liberal arts um, organizations like ours, as we move to add doctoral programs and have a number of master's programs, we have to be clear that students can articulate the skills that will allow them to be successful. Those for which we clearly design, but those for which will allow them to work in teams, to be collaborative, to be constantly willing to be learners. And so we just kind of continue to think about that. Are they engaged? How do they look at the communities that are around them? Are we preparing them for leadership roles and not just for positional leadership, but for leadership and ownership and accountability for whatever they are engaged in? Are they active? Do they understand the feedback or are they passive uh, in, in what they're doing? And so uh, and, and are we retaining them? And then if we're retaining those students, how are they engaged internally? And then we can look at the feedback student give us, give, give to us as faculty members and as an institution. And then that means, are they engaged alumni? You know, so that when they, I actually actively, you know, send my contribution to both my undergraduate and graduate um, because I want people to know that that is important to me. Do they come to us and say, hey, is Dr. So-and-so still there? So will somebody find me and say, hey, I know Matt Harmon. I had a class from him. So all of those elements. And then you can measure usage of our labs, our tutoring centers, all of the ways in which we support them. How often do they go? What are they getting from that? And I realized that some of the ways in which I am asking people to give me feedback about what they've been doing, um, sometimes seems like I'm questioning their, their integrity. I'm not. But in order for us to be clear about the return on investment that parents have made in us, that we as employees have made in our institution, we have to know what we've been doing and we have to determine how we're going to move that so that we can strengthen. You can't do that just from a feeling of goodwill. Um, and maybe that's the business side of me. I know my colleagues sometimes get a little annoyed because that business side of me will ask those kind of questions, but that assessment oriented, I mean, we are accredited institution. And so our accrediting body is gonna ask us the, the same thing. How are we spending our money? How are we working with our students? And then for faculty, because I also am the advocate of the faculty, what support am I giving to strengthen the scholarship? It's not just release time. 
you know, um, one of the th one of the positions that we'll we'll be advertising for, and that we're almost ready to put that out is the grants and contracts person. But that person will provide leadership, not just for areas like mine. I'm, I'm a STEM person. You can find money. But what about our colleagues in the humanities? You know, are we positioning ourselves to be noticed by the Mellon Foundation, which is an invitation only, but also the National Endowment for the Humanities? And that takes a different skill set for faculty that's not only not intuitive, but you don't kind of grow up in the academy knowing how to write grants. Although I will say that our larger universities and their graduate programs are actually helping our students prepare in that grant writing. That, that's what I think is not only student success, but student success is tied to faculty success and development. When our faculty are unwilling to grow, which is not mama, then our students won't grow. And if we focus on ourselves, as opposed to our collective, then we're limited in the perspective because if my whole world consists of me, myself, and I, it's a very limited world. And the judgment about improvement is all subjective and in our head and anything outside of that, we feel it necessary to tear apart because psychologically that's just too jarring. And so that's why you will hear me continue to talk about how we participate and be ontologically in a collective, but the student's success has a direct tie to the faculty's success and engagement. And it is, I take very seriously my responsibility and accountability for assuring the, uh, both of that. Now, it is also a partnership. So I work closely with colleagues you know, in the student success realm because I'm worried about what they're thinking and the content of their uh, engagement in the classroom. But my colleagues in student success, they're gonna know when those students need to gain access to counseling or they need exercise, both from a formal standpoint or not, or their clubs and organizations developing leadership. So it is the institutional partnership, but I will hold myself accountable for that which is related directly to the mind in terms of the content. But I know that I can't do that in a me, myself, or I either. It is a bridge to the rest of the foundation of the organization. Let's finish with with one question, uh, and then we'll wrap up with a with a, a fun comment here or there, as we usually do on Monmouth Weekly. If if you were to tell me or tell the Monmouth University community, um, clearly there was a reason that Monmouth was attracted to you, and I, and I get that now over the course of the last thirty something minutes that we've been on the air. What I'd like to know is what attracted you to Monmouth and why you chose a private university that clearly you feel like there's opportunities for growth, there's opportunities to move up on the national stage, to implement new programs, to strengthen the programs that are already there. What what was it, if you if you don't mind articulating in our last question here, that drew you to Monmouth? So, so you had a very uh, smart consultant who said, you really got to look at this. Uh, and, and I know from your personality, you'd really like the president. And so I did, I took a look at both uh, the portfolio and uh, the president, and I'd like the committee. And I'd like uh, the opportunity to work and be uh, a partner with Matt in this arena. 
And then the, the last way I'll, I'll articulate this, and, and this is just my own spiritual um, uh, way of operating in the world, is I always listen to the assignments that God gives me. And I certainly did say, okay, God, this is not in any portfolio I have had. I've worked with uh, public institutions, been very clear about articulating access for individuals who have been underserved and may come with a different preparation. But I fundamentally believe that education is a game changer. Why wouldn't I believe that for students who are more economically and socially endowed and a faculty who's ready to be um, in the midst of articulating that so when we look at our next senators and we look at our next, you know, world class uh, uh, pollsters, we can say that's a mammoth grad. And so I had to be inclusive in my own thinking and um, just get on board with it. But I, I liked everything I saw about it. And I thought, well, yeah, you know, OK, put your money where your mouth is. So I came because I fundamentally like people and uh and that was the assignment God gave me. So I'm here. All right, we're excited gonna, about it. We're, we're going to finish with a couple of, of, of fun questions that I have um, dreamt up over the course of the last 30 minutes. I, I know in your um, biography, basically, it talks about being a specialist in smell and taste when you worked for Kraft. Does that mean you got to sample like the really good mac and cheese as opposed to what gets put in the box? Well, I, I, given that I still own stock, I'm not sure I should even answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but but I will tell you, there's a difference when you're on a taste panel. When you, when you take all of the ingredients that go, let's just not make it crap, ketchup. When you taste the tomato and it's cooked either 30 minutes, 40 minutes, five minutes, and you taste that flavor profile, and then you add salts, I'm telling you, it, it really is a good job. I like being on the ice cream panel. I like being on the coffee panel. So that's part of it. But I also worked it uh, off of Exit 8A, which was a research because I'm a neuroscientist. So we took all the sugar out of your food. We took all the salt out of your food. We took all the fat out of your food. And uh, uh, so then you come down to what's grass. <laughs> so you you gotta build your food pro, your your profile. The so it it, it 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 it's it's great. I mean I I loved it. So yes, I can tell you that low sodium craft cheese tastes as good as higher sodium content, and it's better for your heart. All right, last one. This is an important one, and I think President Leahy and I maybe mentioned this on an earlier episode. We were a little concerned that in a couple of weeks when Princeton comes to Monmouth for an in-state football game, <laughs> what colors you're going to be wearing. I would imagine you still have a little black and orange hidden somewhere in the closet, but I want to remind you here now, and President Leahy, you can echo this, we are full on blue and white, correct? Orange will not be accepted on October 9th. Hey, listen, I want you to know that my favorite color is navy blue and so this has just given me an opportunity to not be shy and worry about if i'm going to be in my school colors because i have enough blue and different shades of blue 
that I will be ready for anything that's publicly viewed to be blue. Notice how I said that. Always remember the media is watching. The media is watching. In a fact, I'm hoping at that game we could have a ceremonial uh, sort of cleansing and you know, you could give away <laughs> to the Princeton folks any residual Princeton gear you have, uh, Pamela. And uh, that, that might be an important gesture. So maybe at halftime, Matt, we can we can do that. Should be uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, as as we mentioned, Mammoth Princeton with a game at uh, Mammoth University uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. That will be fun. Um, Provost Scott Johnson, really appreciate your time here. I, I I know weekdays are hard to come by with meetings and the beginning part of the semester. This was fantastic to be able to spend some time with you, um, kind of get your view on things and, and your image of what you view the university as out to the university community. Look forward to, um, in essence, working for you, working with you um, as my role as a faculty member. And again, thank you so much for your time here this morning. Really appreciate the invitation. Thank you and Pat. President, President Leahy, Leahy, this was uh, fantastic. Great job of setting this up. And I think so very important. I'll give you the last word as I always do. So very important um, to, to focus on what you said, a partnership that exists between the university side, the, the, the academic side, how they all come together. Because as you and I have talked about, and, I, and listen, I, I've been at Monmouth one way or the other since 1993. I still do wholeheartedly believe we are, in essence, always tapping in to future potential? No question. It's what attracted me to Monmouth, uh, I think in a similar way that it attracted Pamela. Uh, I love her term uh, collective, because that is that is what we are. We all are committed to uh, student success. Um, just a couple things about Pam in closing. Number one, I thought you were going to ask Matt whether she is in fact a Springsteen fan she has assured us that she is so that's yeah. covered um but uh you know we we designed our strategic plan in advance of hiring our provost as you might recall i mean some some people might have argued well why didn't you just hire your provost first and then let that person help you craft the strategic plan and we just decided that the, the development of the strategic plan was going to be a collective effort uh, and that we would design that plan and then hire into it. And uh, I think what we were able to do as we completed the strategic plan and uh, started vetting candidates uh, to become our next provost, um, if, if our goals in the strategic plan are all around excellence, access, and ambition, uh, which they are, uh, I think we found the perfect person in Pamela Scott Johnson to, to lead our uh, the academic side of the university throughout the course of that plan. So uh, again, I hope it's clear how pleased I am, uh, Pam, to have you as part of our, our community. So thank you, Matt, for again, your continuing interest in this series and for uh, being such a great host. My pleasure, as always. Great episode. Look forward to doing it uh, in the very near future. We come to a close. Episode 34, our thanks to University Provost Dr. Pamela Scott-Johnson, University President, my co-host partner uh, in crime, 
President Patrick Leahy. I'm faculty member Matt Harmon. All those behind the scenes who helped the scheduling, putting all things together. As always, you have any comments, you want to reach out to President Leahy or I for any information you'd like to hear on a future episode, feel free to reach out to us. For more information on what goes on within the Mammoth campus and community, go to mammoth.edu. We say so long for episode number 34 of Mammoth Weekly. Thank you.